Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello. And Jason. Hey, everybody. What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm doing okay. I like that hello. Really? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you like that. Was it. My, uh, that was like a masterpiece theater hello or something. <laughs> hello there. Hello. Welcome, listeners. It's very good. Thank you. But I do have a question. Okay. Let me see your fingers. Are they limber? Are they happy? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's 9.30 in the morning, you asshole. I had a lot of coffee. <laughs> so um, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the 5,000 fingers of Dr. T. You're way too excited for this. I am excited for this, and I can't believe you guys aren't. This but- is going to be the lowest scene <laughs> Most hated episode we've done so far, I think. I guess I'll have to find a musical group to share it in or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're out there. Um, I, this actually has a following. Of course it does. It has a pretty decent following. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. Sven Gulli showed it a couple years ago. Oh. And, uh, nice. And people were like, ooh, 5,000 fingers of Dr. T. And the rest of the world's like, the fuck? Yeah, th- this is the very definition of a cult film. Which I don't think we've really touched on that much. Yet. Mm, I, I mean, we no. That's a hard term to pin down, though, too. Right. But I, I, have a, I have my own definition of that. And we will get into all of that and more. But first, like always, we're going to warm up with a bit of what we've been watching. Cool. Yeah, someone else go first. You go first this time, Me. Dustin. You never go first. Oh, uh, okay. I, I've noticed that when I write the notes. I always like, what order are our names in? And, oh, mine's at the bottom, of course. So... There's a lot of things I could talk about. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I don't want to repeat the one time where I rattled off like 500 movies. Yes, you do. I mean, I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it, but I will. Um, but what I do want to talk about is a little bit of anime, because the final Evangelion movie came out yesterday to Amazon Prime. First time you can watch it outside of Japan. Oh, look, it's right there on top of my IMDb when oh, I was searching nice. for yeah. my movie. Good, they're promoting it well. Uh, but this is Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time. I'm confused already. Right, so most people are, if you know anime, you're going to be vaguely familiar with Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's one of the most popular anime ever. I've even heard of it. It's giant robots, right? Right, yep. Okay. Uh, it gets very trippy, very psychological, very out there. And it was roughly like, I want to say 2007, the original creator came back and they were like, we're going to do these new films. It's kind of going to be like a recut of the plot. It's going to remix what was before, but also bring in some like new story ideas. And yeah, wow, it's taken them like years and years. Because just this year, they've released the final one. They were just waiting for the people who got mad about it to die off. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, okay, those people are dead. We can make a new one. Uh, and I'm happy to say I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I don't want to go deep in the plot because it is the fourth film in a series of four, so... A lot of context is going to be completely lost on people. They are all on Amazon Prime now, so if you want to check it out, it's easy to go back to the first one and just get right in there. I think what Dustin's trying to say is that I don't have to pay extra for them. Right. I'd like to. They, are, they are free with Prime. <laughs> if I would like to watch them, I don't have to pay more. Um, nice. But yeah, it's just, it was an amazingly told story, great animation, huge like spectacle fight scenes with the mechs and stuff. Uh, I really don't want to spoil too much about the plot, but... Uh, yeah, I loved it. It was a very satisfying conclusion to everything. I do think, kind of like the original Evangelion, it'll be an ending that'll piss a lot of people off. It won't be like what they wanted out of this. 
Is this where, like... Is it their rise with Skywalker? Is that what you're saying? I wouldn't say it's that far out there. Perhaps Last Jedi. Maybe that's a better analogy. Uh, it's very it's very <laughs> typical of the director, Hideki Anno. He always kind of does these, like, reaches for, like, a very weird direction that's, like, usually not the satisfying thing you want it to be, but there's a lot of, like, metaphor and significance in the ending. Well, sometimes you don't know what you want until you get it, so, you know. True. And sometimes you can't always get what you want, mm-hmm. but you get what you need. <laughs> Thank you, Mick. What's the pacing like on Evangelion? Like, I've always wanted to watch it, but mm-hmm. I was worried that it's, like, because I don't do well with it slow, because I'm a American, <laughs> and I need... So you didn't like it when it was too fast with Promare. I need it just right. I need <laughs> the Goldilocks goldie goldie of anime. Yeah. Um, I think the films are pretty well paced. There are a lot of slower segments, but I feel like they, they earn it with, like, a lot of action, and then they'll kind of slow down for a good chunk of time. Okay. Uh, this film might be tough because it's almost three hours long, and there's a good like whole chapter that's about a full hour where they really super slow down and do a bunch of character building. Mm, okay, so he doesn't like that. <laughs> I don't like character building. <laughs> I think you should try the first one. Um, it is very well paced, and it's mostly just like a recreation of parts of the show. Okay, because the kind of the way they framed it was like the first film. It's like, oh, this is just going to be like a straight like we reanimated it better uh, remake. And then in the second film, they kind of like diverge from the line. And with every subsequent film, they've drifted further from the original plot. Okay. I'll give it a shot. It's one of those that's like iconic. Amongst mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that one for a while. Anime. So I feel like if I'm delving into the world of Gundam, mm-hmm. I should also... It's another stop you should hit, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep, that's so that's fair. me. Okay. I'll go. Yeah, you go. Okay, I... It's one I've been meaning to check out for a long time, um, and it's been on Netflix for a while, but I just kind of missed it. Um, 2019, directed by uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, Synchronic. I really want to see this. So, basic premise, um, I'll give you the IMDb synopsis. Two New Orleans pair... Oh, fuck. Okay. Two New Orleans paramedics' lives are ripped apart after they encounter a series of horrific deaths linked to a designer drug with bizarre otherworldly effects. Um, starring Anthony Mackie of Marvel fame, Love like uh, Falcon and stuff. He's done a shit ton of other stuff too, but it's mostly for Falcon. And then Jamie Dornan, who people might know from the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff, which I haven't watched. Um, but he's actually um, super cool in this movie. I'll plug this movie because a lot of people haven't seen it. Um, the Siege of Jadoville, I think is what it's called. Mm. It's on Netflix. Um Shit. Um, he was apparently in Robin Hood. That was a shitty movie. Um, <laughs> mostly for Fifty Shades of Grey is what he's in. But uh, yeah, there's like the, the Siege of Shadowville is on Netflix. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Jamie Dornan's like in Like a that. war movie? Or? Yeah, it's that one's based on like a, um, a like a, a, what's the word for a platoon? Mm-hmm. Yes, a platoon of soldiers that are like have to hold down a South African town. Oh, cool. Those are always fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of your typical like 300 type style story, but it's super cool. I, I actually really endorse that one. But anyway. So this is my burning question, and you don't have to spoil anything. I just want to know. Does Synchronic link up at all with The Endless and Resolution? So I, I realized I hadn't seen The Endless. What are you doing with your life? I know. And it's I, okay, I haven't watched it either. What the, what the fuck? Dude, do you know how many movies there are to watch? Hundreds. Literally hundreds. You haven't seen Tenet yet. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I started Tenet the other night. <laughs> nice. Um, so I know that Endless is kind of um, Lovecraftian, right? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so the basic premise here of Synchronic is that these paramedics come across this, um, what they think are just junkies that have OD'd yeah. on something, but like one of them has a fucking sword wound in his chest, and they're like, what the fuck? Like, they're, they're like, this is something that you will only see in New Orleans, like paramedics now seeing a junkie sword fight. Like, mm-hmm. okay, of course. <laughs> they just happened upon Highlander. That's it. That's yeah, all. <laughs> exactly. Um, but essentially what Synchronic does is it kind of like transports people throughout time, mm. depending on your position currently. So like if you're in one spot, it will transport you through somewhere in time. And there somehow becomes the ability to bring things back through time. Um, the way they kind of get around this like scientifically is that um, if this drug was designed for adults and it was supposed to just make you kind of trip out, but it fucks with the pineal gland, which as we know from, from beyond, you don't fuck with the pineal yeah. gland. It just like <laughs> shoots out of their fucking forehead. Um, but because teens are starting to take it, your, their pineal gland isn't calcified yet. Mm-hmm. And so now they're like able to trip through time. Mm, that's a neat premise. I like yeah. that. It's real ethereal, real cerebral kind of a thing. Um, and you know, the endless has to do with time loops, so there is a bit of like thematic connection there. I think so. From what I read about Endless, I think it... I'll have to deep dive into it then. I think they're in the same realm. Mm-hmm. Um, I did... There's like some stuff you have to turn your brain off for a little bit for Synchronic. Because if you really start digging deep into it, you're like, wait... Well, it's that what, any time travel type yeah, thing. Yeah, any you time You always travel. have to just suspend disbelief. As long as, long as they sell it okay, you have, to, you have to turn off your brain a little. The emotion and tone is here for this one. So... I think that's what sold it for me was it's nice. a, it's a bleak tone. Um, it's also kind of um, choppy as to in terms of like how the movie is paced mm-hmm. and to like what time period am I watching right now? It mm-hmm. kind of jumps back and forth to where it confuses you as a viewer to where you're almost in the same situation as the paramedics of like, or your main character is Anthony Mackie. Mm-hmm. You're almost in his mode of like, fuck time is now starting to be, Times a flat circle kind of thing. <laughs> um, nice. That's what you want out of your You want your audience confused. That's, <laughs> that's great. But it works. Right. It, it really did yeah. work for Synchronic. I definitely would check it out. I it, It's, for some reason, got a really shitty IMDb score. Uh, don't trust them. It's kind of one of those things, though, that you're either into that sort of thing or you're not. If you want to kind of be challenged a little bit and have your brain flip around and like, okay, this is an interesting prospect. But I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I've always liked the prospect of like the time isn't linear. We just view it as linear. Right. Mm-hmm. But time, and especially if you get into quantum physics and like space travel and stuff, time really isn't linear. It's really just based on our gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's... To bring it back up again, Slaughterhouse-Five. exposure. Yeah. Get into that. Well, but when, when you think of, um, I think what some people had trouble with in um, oh, the Christopher Nolan movie, Inter... Interstellar mm-hmm. was <laughs> sorry was wrapping their head around like when they went to a different planet that had a different oh graduate. the time dilation yeah. yeah yeah and people were like I just don't understand that and I'm like <laughs> gravity basically yeah it's yeah. basically we're our 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 theory of time here is locked to our gravitational pull so mm-hmm. if it were on a different planet time would exist differently but yeah which is a really neat aspect I like that movie by the way yeah I think it's I think it's a great movie. Um, but yeah, the one we're talking about, though, Synchronic. <laughs> <laughs> we just referenced two other movies. Like, sure, go check those out, too. 
Uh, no, I think it's definitely worth watching. Dustin, I think you would like it a lot. Nice. I'll have um, to get to it soon. Jason, I think you'd like it too. Cool. It's tone-wise, really good tone. Well, I have to watch The Endless first, apparently. <laughs> well, I haven't, and I enjoyed Synchronic. So. But it's on Netflix, so easy to check out. I think they're good as filmmakers, because I don't... Every, I've seen everything they've done but Synchronic, and it's all been great. I really wanted to watch The Endless, because it got a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. Um, in the horror community and like the sci-fi community, because people are like, "This is super Lovecraftian," but that's also a term that people like to throw on Ooh. anything. That... It's your episode. What is Lovecraftian? That would be a good topic. Yeah, I mean, probably. A it's quick... not. It's not Cthulhu Mansion. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good quick cut episode. Yeah. No, but it's like one of those things. If you deal with anything otherworldly or slightly cosmic. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, it's Lovecraftian. Right. And other authors have done that. Not necessarily. Yeah. Kind of like stuff just... being Lynchian, right, Jason? Exactly. Just because it's weird well, doesn't mean it's Lynchian. Now, Dustin's triggered. So, <laughs> the rest of the episode is... All right, well, Jason, let me talk about my crappy watch? movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about Skull, colon, The Mask. Oh, oh you finally watched it. Yeah. God damn it. Why? I fucking hate that movie. I didn't like it either. Good. Aww. It was disappointing. It looked so good in the trailer. It did look great in the trailer, mm. and it it has some it, it has some merits. Like it's obviously low budget, yeah. Right. But that sort of helps for the overall tone because it, ha- it has kind of this grungy, dingy sort of tone. And the monster is kind of cool. There's some cool effects. He's got like all these like intestines, like, yeah, swarming throughout his body and the stuff. The stop like motion's that. cool. Stop motion's cool. Um, but ah, it's just the story just wasn't good. You know, one of my biggest issues with that movie was the editing. Editing was bad. If you... I mean, I'm not a filmmaker, and I've never made a film. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and tell people, like, this is what you should do. But it becomes very obvious your budget if you don't edit right. Right. And I was wondering if editing was part of the problem that I had, because there's like a couple of scenes... It just doesn't make any sense. It's like... (laughs) So the story is basically about this cop, and she's trying to catch this, you know... Supernaturally endowed killer and stuff. <laughs> that sounds naughty. <laughs> I was like, oh, supernaturally endowed. They should have made that movie. <laughs> All right. The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T is supernaturally endowed. <laughs> but anyway, so like she shoots the guy and he runs off and she chases him. But it's like as soon as he's off camera, she stops. He just sort of looks in the direction he ran. He's like right there and he's wounded. And this wasn't even the supernatural guy. This was like a mortal guy she shot. Right. Mm-hmm. She should have been able to catch him. But she just stops. She's like five feet away and just stops. Well, I mean, he's off camera. He's off screen. Right. He's, he's gone. gone. It's like a video game where it's wow. like, oh, I don't see him Either anymore. that or she has no object permanence. And she's like completely missed that part of development. She's a really shitty cop. You, you play peekaboo with her and she's like, god damn it, they're gone. Close her mind. <laughs> Stuff like that. I just I can't I can't endorse this one. Unfortunately, uh-huh. it was billed as like they really hardcore sold the the gore effects, yeah. and they were like, really, this is a splatter film, like eighties all practical effects. Yes, they were. Uh, there was some CG augmentation here and there, but yeah, there was a lot of good practical stuff. But it was the way they fucking cut it. Like everything was cut to where. Yeah, it was like nothing was nothing fl- flowed together, mm-hmm. right and it was copy. like, hold on, let's do a cut. Insert our um, shot of a practical effect that was clearly not shot on the same location. Yeah, close up on it, edit in, 
edit back out. And you're like, God damn it, man. Like, yeah. Sounds like some Winter Beast style editing. Oh, boy. I still <laughs> need to see this Winter Beast. I kind of want to see it just for Dustin's excitement. For <laughs> so that's my movie. I was skull. afraid you were going to be like, I love the skull, and I'm going to have to sit here and be like, you're fucking stupid. Well, it does make, that does make me sad, because I remember when we watched the trailer, and I was like, dude, yeah, I was this excited. looks amazing. Yeah, it was a cool trailer. Yeah. Oh, well, sad to report. Okay. At least somebody's out there doing practical gore effects, though. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's cool to see something from Brazil, you mm-hmm. know, because you get the whole different cultural aspect and stuff. It does it. have a following. A lot of people did like it. Yeah. So. You know, good for them. I'm yeah. glad they liked it. Yeah. That's fine. It's okay to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jason, your your film quotation. Film. Oh, wow. <laughs> Are we starting with that? No, I'm no. Uh-huh. We'll just go with your movie. Okay. The 5000 fingers of Dr. T. It's from 1953. Um <laughs> I knew this one would be a risky pick. I don't think it was risky. I mean, this is one of those movies that I think you should see. I'm not going to say you'll like it, <laughs> but I think it's definitely, if you like old Hollywood. Yes, mm-hmm. which you should. <laughs> uh, so to get some big stuff out of the way, it's directed by Roy Roland. Yes. Uh Kind of the super notable thing to talk about it is that there's writing credits from Dr. Seuss. Yep. He worked on the screenplay and did the lyrics for the songs. That's mm-hmm. very noticeable. And the set yeah. design is obviously influenced by the artwork. Yeah, I did a little books. digging and he apparently was on set for mm-hmm. a lot of it and kind of like helped direct. Yeah, he was very hands-on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, would you say he's hands-on? Damn it, that didn't work. I, I, <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the Happy Fingers uh thing and there's we'll post this for you guys um images you know, this is from a podcast this. right <laughs> yeah I, sometimes i don't know we'll post an image for this because it's very you kind of need to see it to get it but there's like the kids wearing like a mickey mouse type hat yeah. but instead of the ears it's a giant golden hand um that's like it's the official to wear like a beanie yeah oh, oh, oh there, there it goes <laughs> I got um, excited about the beanie. That wasn't Jason's hand that hit that, by the way. So I guess top level, do you want to give us a synopsis of this film first? Before yes. Before we go any further. Um, so basically it is about uh, this young boy who's learning the piano, who doesn't want to learn the piano. He's being instructed by Dr. Tewilliker, played by the great, underutilized Hans Conrad. He was fucking awesome. He's man. amazing. He is so good. He should have been so much bigger than he was. Um... He should have been supernaturally endowed, but he wasn't. <laughs> um, so this kid doesn't want to learn. His mom comes out and says, keep practicing. So he has his daydream. He falls asleep because it's boring. Um, and then he his daydream involves him being captured by Dr. T, who plans on capturing 500 other little boys to have 5,000 fingers to play this big, huge piano he made. And it's the opening of the Terwilliker Institute, and it's a big deal to him. And basically, it's all about him trying to escape the Institute, trying to save his mom, who's been hypnotized by Dr. T. And the plumber, uh, Zablau- Zeb- I can't pronounce his name, Zabalowski. He's trying to hook him up with his mom. And it is a family film. It is a musical. It is a fantasy. And I kind of love it. 
So let's let's talk about that genre first because this is the first time we've ever yes. talked about a musical before. Yes, I think everyone is pretty familiar with what a musical is. Right, <laughs> it's a movie where people will burst into song yeah, spontaneously. Go deep into that, but there's uh, probably some argument though as to what would constitute a musical. Okay, so uh, I've got the official definition here. The official definition. I didn't even know that you'd planned that, and I segued that perfectly, didn't I? So uh, it's a film genre in which songs by the characters are interwoven into the narrative, sometimes accompanied by dancing. These songs usually advance the plot or develop the film's characters, but in some cases they may merely serve as breaks in the storyline or elaborate cutaway production numbers. There you go. And of course, like a lot of genre of film, this when you trace it back, it goes back to theater and the stage. So that's I think when a lot of people think of musicals, you're going to think of like you know theater productions, Broadway sure. stuff right. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so another thing to note is that as it developed from the stage into film, the biggest difference is that in film you're going to have lavish background scenery, and usually they'll develop locations that would be impractical to show in a theater. Um, the advantages of film. Also, musical films characteristically contain elements that will. Uh, Remind you of the theater, performers will often treat their songs and dance numbers as if there is a live audience watching. You know, they'll be looking directly at the camera as they're staring out into the crowd that's there. Yep. Um, so, in a sense, the viewer becomes the diegetic audience as if they were there in the theater right with them, but the camera is sort of our interlay between that. Right. Um, do you guys know what the first musical ever was? Like the, the jazz singer, basically? It is. Correct. I was going to say yeah, the jazz like the singer. first talkie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at this. 1929, if I'm not mistaken? It's 27. 27. Oh, mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I am very proud of you guys. <laughs> yeah, it was the first to have an audio track, and it used both non-diegetic music and diegetic music, and there were only very short sequences of dialogue. Right. I've seen a little bit of it. Have you guys ever actually watched it? I've never seen the whole thing. Mm. I watched some of it back um, in college when I took the film classes and mm. stuff like that. And highly important at the time, of course. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's one of those, like, if you're, um, it's like right there with the Lumiere brothers, like, yeah. it's thrown into that whole intro to film course. Sure. Mm. As it should be. Yeah, singer's always right there. And so then to kind of just shoot us through quickly kind of the history of musical and cinema. Um, so in the late twenties, that's when it took off. Like you said, along with talkies being a thing, moving away from silent films, um, in the twenties, a lot of this was exemplified with the films of Busby Berkeley. Mm -hmm. He was a choreographer that was known for his distinctive and elaborate set pieces and the use of a lot of like choreographed showgirls in these big, huge productions. Um, during the thirties, Musicals of people like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers became massive, very much captivated the public. Uh, films like Top Hat, Shall We Dance, and then of course in '39 you have The Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, made a big splash Classic. as well. Um, which we've just found out the other day that some of our best friends haven't ever seen Wizard of How Oz. How have you not seen Wizard of Oz? <laughs> we were in the chat thread when he was like, maybe I should finally watch Wizard of Oz. And we we're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what do you mean, finally watch Wizard Even of Oz? Even if you don't go looking for it, how, like a rerun on TV or something. Like, I know. How have you yeah. not been exposed to I it? I, I think your parents have failed if you have not seen Wizard <laughs> of Oz as a child. I, I grew up on it. My I might have said this before. Like, Sorry to interrupt your break. Though. No, that's good. Um, I, I spent a lot of time with my aunt um, when I was growing up because my mom worked and so my aunt stayed and she babysat me because she had a small child as well. So it was me and my cousin a lot and my aunt was super into sci-fi and so like my love of sci-fi came from my aunt. 
Um, and when she passed away very young, so like I have a lot of sentiment towards Mm -hmm. stuff that I watched with her and we probably watched wizard of Oz once a week. Nice. Mm -hmm. Like it just became, we just, that's what we did. Like we usually watch star Wars and wizard of Oz. See, I watched Beetlejuice once a week with my grandma. Oh, nice. Probably explains a lot about me. I think it does. (laughs) Beetlejuice is awesome. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so Wizard of Oz was groundbreaking because it experimented with stuff like Technicolor. Mm-hmm. So even as musicals are developing, they're kind of pulling along with the development of film over the years. Um, the 40s and the 50s, there were a lot of musicals from MGM that kind of made a big splash. Uh, you had stuff like uh, 55, you had Oklahoma, 56, The King and I. Um, a lot of these films, their sort of standout thing is that they relied on the star power of the actors that were involved to really kind of push and sell them. Um, even movies like, especially in the thirties and forties that weren't technically musicals would have musical numbers like Marx brothers and stuff like that. It's kind of like Indian films today where you just have to have musical numbers. Don't matter what the genre is. They're going to break into something. (laughs) I'm sorry. Bollywood, which we won't delve into Bollywood, but that is a whole other like path. You could talk about, you want to talk about musicals. That's a whole other thing. Maybe we'll do a Bollywood film at some point. Uh, No, I don't know. I had a a professor in college who used to talk about uh, how much he loved Bollywood Mm -hmm. and he was very white male. (laughs) it, It was like, very strange that he loved Bollywood so much, but I actually it can be pretty kooky and pretty crazy. So, well, I actually got uh, he gave an extra credit portion on a test, and it was about this gritty Bollywood movie that I happened to know about. And I was the literally the only person in the class who got this answer right. And he stopped in class and he was like, Why do you know this movie? I was like, It's on Netflix, I watched it one day. Nice. <laughs> he was like, Okay, nice. nice. I was Please proud continue. of myself for that. Uh, so in the 60s, a lot of stage musicals would be transferred to film and went on to have like big box office successes. You had stuff like West Side Story in 61, uh, My Fair Lady. Sound of Music. <laughs> Sound of Music, yeah. Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably talk about Disney in the mix of that because a lot of their films end up being musicals, mm-hmm. even their animated features. Oh, and Hans Conried, the Dr. T of this, uh, voiced uh, Captain Hook in Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Interesting. I didn't know that, but I can see it now that you mm-hmm. bring it up. You can actually see it on his face too, like yeah, because they would oftentimes reference the yeah. performance of the vocalist and draw that into the. It, it, the I could totally. I I was looking up because I didn't know anything about Hans Conrad, and I was like, God, he's like you're just drawn to yeah. him in <laughs> Five Thousand Fingers. It's he's just like, dude, this guy is authentic, like old Hollywood mm-hmm. greatness. Mm-hmm. And so I looked him up, and I was like, oh, fuck, he even looks like Captain Hook. Like You could totally see <laughs> yeah. him in a stage performance of Peter Pan yep. playing Captain Hook. Uh, get to the 70s, Jason's favorite era. Woo-hoo. Uh, we know that there's that focus on gritty realism that kind of came into things. But the sort of classic Hollywood musical was still thriving. You had stuff like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 71, Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, um, Peach Dragon. Hmm. Yeah. And again, it was that same thing where even against sort of the trend of the era, they were still corn- so kind of like sticking to that stage show aspect that's always pulled along with musicals. True. Um, talking about the 80s and the 90s, a lot of your musicals there that were big, that's where you get into like the domination of Disney and like their animated films with stuff like Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Lion King, on and on. Uh, and then talking about sort of the 21st century and on there's been a rise of like more darker musicals or musicals that kind of take like a biopic angle or remakes of classics. You've got stuff like Moulin Rouge, Chicago. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of Broadway stuff too. Mm-hmm. In the, like uh, yeah, a lot of Broadway stuff that's been n- not so easily transformed onto screen. That horrible Phantom of the Opera movie that should have been so much better. <laughs> it has moments. Mm. Um, and then, <laughs> sort of the other angle of this, I would say, is the cult musical. And this is going to branch us into talking about your thing about cult films. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah, that's sort of the first one that would come to my mind if you're going to talk about a cult musical where it's yeah. sort of outside of the mainstream of like the Hollywood engine and system. Mm-hmm. And yet it has this huge following that everybody, you know, they love this film so much. Rightly so. So, Jason, would you say that 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T is your favorite cult musical? Ooh, um, let's talk about that. What is your favorite cult oh musical? Oh man, see when you're talking about cult musical, urgh. see my definition. Let's talk about my definition of cult. Okay. What I think of. Let's start cult. there. Okay. Um, and I think Doctor T is the perfect cult film because, to me, I don't think you can make a movie for a cult. You know, like if you're making if you're making a cult movie, you're trying to be you're making outsider art. You're trying to appeal to people who don't really like the mainstream. Right. And while those can work, it, it, to me, a cult film is something that was kind of forgotten. Like Dr. T was meant to be a mainstream success. Sure. Mm-hmm. It, it adheres strictly to 1950s formula. It's got the fucking kid from Lassie in it. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. But it just flopped. It, it was a critical failure. It didn't make any money. Uh, they reached, they did a preview of it. And cut out nine musical numbers and reshot the very beginning. Wow. It, yeah. was, it was that disastrous to preview screening. And that version's lost. No yep. one can find that one, unfortunately. The songs are retained, but it was on the soundtrack that was released. But no one's ever seen that preview version. Since and I think then. you definitely notice it because when I was watching it early on, I was like, okay, it's a musical. And then there's like a long segment with no songs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, is right. this actually a the, musical? There should though? have been a song or two yeah. in there. Right. You mm-hmm. can tell. I did you notice that. It felt like this. Some and a couple that we'll get into it, but like some of the songs I really, really like. Oh, yeah, there's some very catchy songs. They've really, been stuck in my head. I really liked some it. of them, but then there are others. I was like, uh, where's the rest of the music? Mm-hmm. Like, there's yeah. no, it didn't all, it didn't always fit my definition of a musical, right? So I was confused at some points, but that makes sense that mm-hmm. a bunch of it was cut. So years later, it's rediscovered pretty much like in the 90s, early 2000s. People start paying more attention to it, it gets critically reevaluated. Starts gaining a cult following. That that's a cult movie to me, mm-hmm. you know. So I think the typical definition a lot of people would use is it's a film that has sort of been ostracized or forgotten in the mainstream, but it has sort of this underground following of devoted fans. Correct. As much as we like to uh, rip on him for some of his stuff, I was actually listening to an interview with Kevin Smith um, talking about who, in my opinion, was very much a cult film director mm-hmm. because his films like when clerks came out clerks was clerks was kind of shot down at the film festivals and people were like this is stupid i don't get it mm-hmm. um then it kind of got this underground following because people were like oh no this is kind of the t- this is me this is like me yeah, with right. my friends talking and about it's movies. only good movie so we should celebrate it well and so that that's Whoa. what well, <laughs> well then he starts talking about when he made mall rats because because of the cult following of clerks somebody gave him money right. and was like oh he's a good director let's give him money to make something else so he makes mm-hmm. mall rats mall rats comes out and fucking bombs at the box office just tanks I think it screened like one weekend 
and it it lost money. Yeah, I actually quite like Mallrats. I do too. I think it's got its moments, its parts. But then, so Kevin Smith thinks he's done, mm-hmm. like as a director. But then Mallrats hits VHS, and people start yes. watching it, and it like gets this following of like, oh, we actually really like this. Right. Same thing with Austin Powers, the first one. That right. was a huge flop. And then but then released. people find it, yeah. and it's almost like, I guess in our era, the term cult is probably like those VHS mm-hmm. things that you go and pick up off the shelf, and then you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, these would be like, called sleepers. Mm-hmm. I think it, I've still seen people call them yeah, that at times. Yeah, the term's not used very often anymore. But. but no, I think of like, in that sense, like the way a movie, like when you talk about Kevin Smith, you talk about Mallrats. Right. But was a critical flop mm-hmm. horrible flop so i think in a lot of ways what we now consider to be critical um achievements were flops to begin with mm-hmm. so but then you kind of run into the problem with okay our cult filmmakers starting to make films for the cult right it's one of those things i think it's hard to say like i'm a director and i'm gonna set out to make a cult film right I don't think any director really sets up. The the people, the audience has to decide if it's a cult film. The the cult has to embrace it to make it a cult film. It's like intentional schlock. It's like Sharknado. You can't make intentional camp. Right. You know, it has to to come from a place of honesty. But it sells, man. Well, (laughs) Those movies keep sci-fi afloat. I don't know why. The channel? Is that what you're talking about? Or the genre? Oh, God, no. (laughs) The channel. S-Y-F-Y. Sci-fi. Okay. But no, that shit keeps them afloat, man. Like, Uh, they released their numbers for those, and the amount of people who watch that, I'm like, good God. Whatever. It's okay. We're getting the Chucky TV series. It's all going to be good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'll forgive it all. That's what sucks, and you get pissed off. (laughs) Bro, Mancini's on it, man. (laughs) Dustin just got hurt. He did. All right, Jason, what's your favorite cult musical? Oh, God. Okay. Mm, there's two choices I have. Mm-hmm. I think I know what your choice is going to be, so I won't take that one. I have to go with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, that's fair. It's which a, I would consider a cult film because it, I mean, it was an adaptation of an like off, off-Broadway off production. <laughs> so it was never going to find a huge audience, I think. Mm-hmm. But, right. I mean, it really was a big flop when it came out. Oh, it, you can it, totally see that being and, a big yeah. flop. And it really approaches a lot of themes and concepts at the time that were kind of... I don't think a lot of people were ready to like yeah. talk about those I mean, ideas. It's very subversive. Yeah, that's but interesting. It's, it's got great songs. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, it's it's a great movie. Everyone's seen it. That's if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. Into another thought, because when you said it's very subversive, mine is super subversive too. Mm. So mine is Hedwig and the Angry Inch, mm. which I've never seen. I haven't seen it either. Honestly, I should probably. There's, I don't know. I should bring it at some point. Whether or not we cover it for the podcast, it, I think you guys should watch it. Sure, yeah, cool. I always meant to. It's never getting around to it. <clears throat> but now it makes me wonder. Like when we talk about cult films, are cult films really exploring themes of kind of like not mainstream themes? Are they themes that mainstream doesn't particularly want to talk about? And so Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Mm-hmm. Deals with a sex change operation. Yeah, I think you're onto something. Oh, I think when botched. you talk about cult films, part of the reason they do fail mainstream wise is because they're hitting these beats that like a regular critic's going to look at and be like, "Eh, what is this weirdness?" You know? Oh I yeah. Know. I mean, well, and Hedwig and the Angry Inch is an adaptation of a Broadway show, which would fit Broadway because that the tone of Hedwig and the Angry Inch is is weird, mm-hmm. but Broadway acceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, 
like you can kind of buy it right but like as a film i don't think many mainstream audiences were like what the <laughs> fuck is this right like one of the songs says like my ma- my sex change operation got botched you know mm-hmm. and his whole thing about the angry inch is that it's six inches forward and five inches back and uh his sex change operation was botched so he's now left with an angry inch mm-hmm. of, of and of course like something like this is more acceptable to talk about these days, but this was what late eighties, early nineties. Um, yeah, like I, think 90s. Really? I think nineties. Yeah. I think the two thousands. I think is when um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch the oh, was film. Was, I'll pull it up. I think the, it's two thousand. Don't try to find out. It'll take too long. There's no way to know. We go ahead with Dustin's. And okay. I can... So we'll see how in sync I am with Jason on this. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My pick will be Phantom of the Paradise. Yes. Yes. Yep. Classic. Oh god, it's, it's that was, so good. That's my close second. It's just the classic Faustian tale, but adapted into this story of an aspiring musician that gets his life crushed and seeks revenge against the evil record producer that uh, made Brian him, De Palma. Yeah, made him into the monster he is. You know, Have I, you actually, seen I haven't, but we oh watched the trailer for it one night, all sitting around together, and I was like, "The fuck, dude!" It's so fun. <laughs> not all the songs land for me, which is why it's not my top. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that do are really good. Everything's written by Paul Williams. Yeah. What's his name right now? Which he plays the evil yeah, record he producer. Plays, yeah, he's great. He's great in it. I want to see it. When Once I saw the trailer for it, yeah, I was like, Jessica oh. Harper in it, who's actually a really good singer. She's a great singer. I don't know about her dancing, but her singing's great. Well, you know, you can't always, you can't all be Ewan McGregor. <laughs> right. And be a triple threat. Um, right, but it's super stylish. Oh, and Beef, the character yeah. of Beef. Beef. So much homo and then funny here. connection. <laughs> like the first film we almost did for this podcast was Legend of the Stardust Brothers, which is a Japanese musical, yeah. and it is based heavily on the concepts of Phantom of the Paradise. I wondered if that was going to be your choice because they even call that out in the credits. Yeah, yeah. I wondered if that was going to be your choice for this one because it's close. It's up there. I you do have to watch film. that one. Yeah. So that brings us back to Doctor T. <clears throat> Oh, I have one more thing. Oh, you we do? Just okay. Leave uh-huh. the broad topic of musicals. So sure, sure, sure. That's talking about cult musicals. What is your favorite sort of big Hollywood production musical? Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I. So there's a lot to choose from. I think it has to be Wizard of Oz. Okay. Yeah, it's a safe choice. It's a safe <laughs> choice, but it's it's there's a reason why it's iconic. It is. There's yeah, a reason why definitely. it's still culturally, you know resonates it's just perfect you know it's just a perfect movie you don't forget the songs you don't forget the characters it's gorgeous yeah that would be my my number one pick nice really is dustin what's yours okay so i think this would still count as like a big hollywood production i don't know you guys can correct me i've got a backup i would go with little shop of horrors yeah i mean that was that was a major studio production Yeah, yeah totally like rick moranis is a national treasure Mm-hmm. I wish he was still in film, still doing stuff. Oh, he's coming back, man. I hope so. He is. He's doing the new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Ooh, excellent. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but that's one where I like... <laughs> I lo- grumpy I- old bastard. I am a grumpy old bastard. <laughs> but that's one where I like, I just love every song. I love that style it's using of like kind of the 50s-ish rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a story for this one. We watched it for my family on VHS when it came out. Mm-hmm. I knew a little bit about it, but the rest of my family didn't. So we're watching it, and then they start breaking into song. And my sister is like, are they going to sing the whole way through this movie? <laughs> it's like, yes, it's, it's a musical. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> All right, Michael, what do you got? Mine's Singing in the Rain. That's another classic. 
Yeah, um, that one's one that I, I mean, I sing most of the songs from that. I love musicals. Like, I love Broadway. I love musicals. I regularly sing Les Mis to my son, and he's, like, staring at me because he's four months old and is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> um, so that's kind of, to me, and that film is meta Hollywood anyway. Mm-hmm. But, God, I just love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. Like, Donald O'Connor, man, the dance sequence of Make Him Laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, if oh, yeah. you just, if you've never seen Singing in the Rain and you don't want to watch the whole thing, you've probably seen the Singing in the Rain. Sure. Scene that's been iconic and referenced so many times, just yeah, you've probably seen that. He had the flu while shooting that, anyway, mm. by the way, which is even cooler. But there is a scene if you just want to YouTube it, just Donald O'Connor's Make Him Laugh mm. is one of the greatest dance productions to me ever put on film. The scenery flips, like he walks on walls, yeah, walks really on impressive. ceilings, like, and all of this is so practical. I, I don't know if it was one take or not. But it could been, it could have been. But just YouTube that and watch it and see. Like this I'll link is it in just, the show notes. Yeah, back this, in the day, there's no CGI. There's barely <laughs> any opticals yet. You know? Every I mean, time I watch it, I'm just like the performance ability of him as an actor and a dancer and a singer. It's just mind blowing mm-hmm. of how good that is. But and then you've also got Carrie Fisher's mom in there too. So nice. You know. Well, speaking of like the lack of CG and just production design to get us. Back to Dr. T. <laughs> I really appreciated that when it got into like his dreamscape, yes. and it's this weird, like phantasmagoric Susian nightmare world with like yeah. weird angles and stuff. They just built the fucking set, man. They're yeah. like, whatever, let's just build this giant place. Absolutely. That was awesome. It's too. a great set. That's yeah. one of the standouts of this film for me mm-hmm. was the set pieces were just yeah. you could tell it was just on this huge lot. <laughs> yeah. It's and, like a more whimsical cabinet of Dr. Caligari. No, mm-hmm. that's a good yeah, that's kind of the imagery that I had yeah. in my head. Because everything's like elongated and curved in weird ways that mm-hmm. it shouldn't be. There were times where... So there is a scene. I don't know if we really need to break this down from like... Well, yeah. Scene we, by scene. We should touch on points, but... There is a scene where uh, the kid is climbing a ladder. Yes, and the ladder kind of curves out as it goes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did they have that fucking kid on the ladder? Oh, no. You probably couldn't see it as well as I could on the Blu-ray. But it's, it's an optical. There's an insert. It's like a matte painting, and then they okay. do the, show the real film of the kid climbing, and it's pretty obvious on blue. You really notice the wire when he jumps off. Yeah. I was like, but it yeah. looks good. So Dustin and I watched this on streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, we'll link to a couple different places that you can stream this. It's on Crackle? I watched it on um, some other weird offbeat <laughs> channel that shows movies that they get the rights for really cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And Blu-ray for this is a pair of bones. There's nothing. There's not even a trailer on this thing. Wow. Wow. Oh, it's put out by Mill Creek. So of course, yeah, but no, and I didn't see it that much, but when I was watching that, I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. Like, surely they didn't let that kid climb that. <laughs> but then also it's the fifties. So they're probably like, why not? You know? Right. Yeah. He hadn't done Lassie yet. Okay. He Lassie comes after this, mm. according to IMDb. So, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and actually, it's, this is one thing I like about and the actor Tommy Reddick, His name was. He, I think he's really good in the part. A lot of times, kid actors can be kind of annoying or amateurish or whatever. But I liked him. Yeah, he was. I, I liked him. His. Um, I think we should talk about the reason that he's playing piano, which I found incredibly sad. Yeah. Um, so his dad died. Mm-hmm. And he talks about in the very beginning that he just does what his mom wants him to to make her happy. Yep. 
And I was like, God damn. He's really... a good son. <laughs> but it's also super sad. Like, this kid is so hung up on, like, doing everything to make someone else happy. Mm-hmm. That he's willing to go through this piano thing and he doesn't want to do at all. Right. And people treat him like shit playing piano too. (laughs) They're like, no, you're off rhythm. (laughs) Right. So it's not pleasant for him at all. But the fact that he's like, no, I need to do it because my mom, it'll make my mom happy if I do it. So I keep doing it like Jesus, man. No, I mean, but that's also a nice thing, isn't it? It is, but it's sad in retrospect because you wonder what that, how much therapy that kid's going to need when he grows up. (laughs) Well, I think things end on a happy note. They do. They do. He's also obsessed with, um, is it Zabrowski or Zablowski? Zabladowski. Zabladowski. The the plumber who's working, replacing their sink. His name is August Zabladowski. Yeah. Paid by Peter Lynn Hayes, who I think also does a great job. He is good. He has that very classic Hollywood leading man. Yeah. The striking blue eyes and stuff. Right. Perfect white teeth. Mm -hmm. um, A lot of grease in his hair. (laughs) He's playing the father figure. He is. And... I think, especially for the fifties, I think it's a very kind of tender relationship. You and know, he like does, he's, he's the father that, that, um, Bart needs right now. It's the kid's name, Bart. Yeah. And they, they do that well, but Bart instantly is drawn to him. Like, you know, sure. he needs that father figure in his life. So he's immediately like, I'm going to set you with my mom. <laughs> hey, <laughs> oh. It doesn't hurt that, you know, his mom's a knockout. So sure. That helps. Speaking of Bart, uh, funny little tidbit fact I dug up while researching this. So everybody knows the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. You know Bart's nemesis, Sideshow Bob, but do you know what his last name is? It's Terwilliger. Yeah, it is Terwilliger. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. Damn. That's got to be taken directly <laughs> from this. That's well, like a, such a crazy deep cut reference. It is. It and, and crazy, yeah, Sideshow Bob also has kind of a Hans Conrad sort of delivery there. Kelsey mm-hmm. Grammer gives him. Mm-hmm. But like, how many of the how many writers do you think saw this movie as a kid? Because you could easily see this playing... I guarantee you Tim Burton saw it. Yeah, but like... <laughs> At some point. You know this is one of those movies that probably played Saturday mornings or Sunday afternoons, you know, on TV that mm-hmm. kids probably saw, and it's also safe to show, and they probably also got it cheap. Mm-hmm. So they could show it easily without having to pay a lot for it. So this probably, for a lot of people, they saw it and then just left their brains, you sure. know? Like, they didn't really... And, and on that note, it was also re-released in 58 under a different title called Crazy Music. <laughs> they, 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 cut, they cut out the elevator scene. That whole scene's missing. But other, otherwise, it's Dr. T. It was just re-released as a different title. That's, that's like the Asylum Productions version or something. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So wow. who knows how many more people saw it then. And like you say, yeah, it was probably playing on TV a lot because it was cheap. And hmm. Well, so Dr. T pops in in real life yep. towards the beginning of this film. And he's giving Bart shit because Bart's like off rhythm. Oh, this was like, uh, it frustrated me cause he's not that bad. No, he's not at all. <laughs> but you know what this reminded me of is the uh, scene in whiplash where okay, JK yeah, Simmons yeah. is like, uh, giving the kid <laughs> shit over. He's just fucking hazing him. That's the only reason. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't seen that one yet. No, that it's, you've at least seen the meme, right? With like the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, it's actually a really good film and JK Simmons is fucking well, gold in it. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's no, there's nothing wrong with the performance at all. Mm-hmm. He's playing it perfect, but he's just fucking hazing him. Right. And that's all Dr. Terwilliker's doing to him anyway. It's just like, I have the power over this. So, Well, Terwilliker also makes he, one line that I think does make him the villain. Because he says that 
Bart's performance reflects on him. It's about right. him. It's right. not about him. It's not about Bart, Bart learning the piano and stuff. It's all about how it represents Dr. Terwilliger. Have yep. you guys ever... I, I know, Dustin, you played bass mm-hmm. some, but have you either of you ever taken professional lessons? I tried with I, guitar, but it just didn't stick with me. I did for a very little bit, and I got very at odds with my teacher, and I quit and taught myself. Yeah, so. see? So I had <laughs> I was classically trained. Um, I didn't stick with it, but like I learned piano early, and then I learned guitar from a teacher. And both of those instances, my teacher was not really very good at being um what's a different skill set you could be great at guitar but teaching someone guitar is like a whole right, other right a lot of people can't teach right but well. everything falls back on the teacher you know like how good you are is mm-hmm. a reflection of how good of a teacher you are and that's just mm-hmm. bullshit that's not true at all like some kids may just not have it mm-hmm. or you know or they just want to go their own they want to fleetwood mac it and go their own way right. you know which is kind of what you and I did, mm-hmm. but no, I I related to that heavily. <laughs> yeah, my teachers were not at all like Doctor Twilliker, but <laughs> but they they all had that very much like no play with the metronome, right? Which I know now play with the metronome, but like then <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck does it matter? I'm playing the notes. But that's when you know Doctor Twilliker in 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 Bart's real life is gone pretty quick. Like he mm-hmm. just pops in, scolds him, runs off. Yeah. yeah. And they even get one song before the fantasy elements start with Bart and his mom. Right. So even before it's a fantasy, it's still a musical. Sure. <laughs> but that's one, that one's also kind of naturalistic in a way because she's singing along to his playing on the piano. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not like overly. It's no know, big production produced. or anything. Right, yeah. right, right. But then when Bart falls asleep. Well, they also. What I like about this is it is kind of like the Wizard of Oz ish like setup. Yeah. We're in the real world. We meet all the characters, and then that what those characters and kind of those interactions translate into the dream that he has. Yes, mm-hmm. um, because the plumber is there changing out the sink, and they kind of have a little conversation on the side. Right. Um, was it Bart mentions right that he's good at the piano too? I think. And yeah, that Zabladowski plays. Yeah, but they they don't want him to like show him anything. Right. Right. Because he's just a plumber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if. This would be such a weird, like, porn movie because you've got like the five thousand. The hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the plumber that shows up, like, "Hey, I'm here to install your sink," and uh, then you got the bad guy is like, "No, don't, don't sully this." <laughs> got the five thousand fingers of Doctor T. <laughs> you asshole, Doctor Seuss made this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote for the um, Shout Factory. Doctor Seuss made don't sully this. But you're also talking about how he's, the people in his life are in his fantasy. Right, it's obviously. the same thing like in Wizard of Oz. Was like, and you were there, and you were but there. But you also see on the piano a picture of two old-timing gentlemen with beards. Mm-hmm. And they show yeah. up in the fantasy, too. Is the guys connected by the beards on the roller skates. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, that's some weird fucking imagery, man. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But yeah, so you get all this sort of setup, build-up, and then he's supposed to go back to practicing the piano, but he nods off. Right, because it's boring. And it's really hard to explain the plot. From. Well, yeah, basically, it's all about him trying to escape. He's trying to save his mom. His mom's been hypnotized by Doctor T, and he's helping. He, she's number two. She's helping to run the place, right? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. The scene where she's like giving orders and, and running things because she's wearing half a dressing gown, like evening gown, yeah. and half a business suit. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a cool representation of that, especially because in a lot of the shots versus a 
working woman. You yeah, because a lot of the shots, she would turn one way or the other, mm-hmm. and you would only see like that side of the outfit. Yeah, yeah. That was a cool There's a lot approach. of really progressive direction in this, like very pointed of things that I don't think are that you that you saw as much for the time period. Like this is really reaching pretty far past what you'd expect for a movie like this, as far as set design, themes, and like costume design. That's probably why it didn't land too well at the time. It was a little ahead of itself. Yeah, probably, ways. probably. Um, but yeah. We have to mention the the poor beanie, yeah, that Bart wears <laughs> through the entire dream sequence. Pretty, yeah, yeah, because Doctor T tells him to put on his official to look like a beanie. Which you see, um, his mom is overseeing the production of these for all of the children that are going to show up. Yeah, like when she's arguing with the guy because the fingers are like bent. <laughs> yeah. Do they look happy to you? <laughs> but yeah, this thing is so crazy. Well, the funny thing is, it's like you would hate it. Because he doesn't want to be there anyways, but he he still wears it through the whole film. <laughs> well, I'm not sure he could take it off because as much as he ran, I feel like they glued it to his head <laughs> as an actor. Well, no, no, I mean, it was the 50s. They were probably getting him to act by cattle prod and uppers. So, you know. <laughs> well, the one time he's trying to, I think he's trying to like get under a door that's closing or something. And he grabs the beanie to keep make sure it stays on. It's Poor like, kid. Oh. I mean, well, he's, you know, he's, <laughs> he's there to please. You know, he's got to make sure that everything's good. Um, yeah, and then he enlists the help of the plumber, Zabladowski, who's in his dream. He's installing sinks so the Institute can open. Um, they're not a fun place either, by the way. They have cells that the kids are supposed to yeah, be assigned to. you. Right. Uh, they're supposed to just kind of hang around until he drags them out to play his, like, uber piano. Yeah, all the other kids are supposed to arrive the next day for the grand opening. Um, so he convinces Zabladowski to go talk to his mom you know, try to get her away from Dr. T and all this stuff. And One of my favorite lines of the movie is Zabladowski explaining his pay scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah There's like yeah. these really weird it's made up currencies, very, very Dr. Seuss currencies. Mm-hmm. And it's like this convoluted scale of like <laughs> currency exchanges. Yeah. Comes and, out to 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and he like goes through it like, well, this is so many. And like, it's almost like you're trying, and the kid finally says, "Well, how many dollars is that?" It's like, <laughs> yeah. like twenty bucks, kid. Like twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great Susian language and stuff. I, uh, I did made up words, and the way that line's delivered is really well, uh, you know, re- done really, really well. So, but when he goes to check on Eloise, that's like one of my favorite scenes because he gets up there and immediately Doctor T like attacks him. Mm-hmm. But it's like this weird, like that's when you first find out he has this hypnosis thing because he's doing like weird, like wiggly fingers and movements. Yeah, they're both trying to put the whammy on each other. And they're yeah, dancing around, and then he starts doing it back to him, and it's just this weird, like battle dance number. I love that scene. That's one of my favorites. And then just I don't know where they stop, and then he's like, "Where did you learn that?" And then he's like, "Why did you try to put the whammy on me?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Hans Connery does that, like that almost a split type thing, and comes right back up. I mean, that was kind yeah. of impressive for someone who's not like known as a dancer. It was. You know, it it was almost cool. made me think of like a Looney Tunes bit or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Hans Connery was like a live action cartoon character, and he just he he just digs into this role. He, he dominates so the whole film. Like if there's. He has this effete theatricality that I, I don't know. Like he was playing camp before camp was really invented. Right, right. I, I mean, he reminds me so much of like every villain 
the oh, every over the top villain that you've seen like in cartoons mm-hmm. or movies. And I guarantee you've heard his voice. He's done a lot of voice work. Yeah, and stuff. he worked up until the eighties or something. He voiced Snidely Whiplash on the Dudley Do Right cartoons. Mm-hmm. He was in a ton of TV in the fifties and sixties and stuff. He's really one of those actors that's so good that just nobody knows about. Oh, and you were mentioning The Simpsons earlier. Another reference to Hans Connery is from uh, Futurama because the robot devil. His voice oh. was based on Hans Connery. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. This movie, I think if nothing else, like when we're finished with this podcast and you listen to it and you decide like, man, I don't know if I should see this movie. <laughs> it's weird. Watch it for Hans Connery. Yeah. It's just a, such a great performance that I don't think should be missed. This is his only big role in any movie. I have some sad little factoid about that too. Oh, yeah. Um, he was super excited and enthusiastic about the role and he's quoted as saying this. I've never had any such part before, never have since, and probably never will again. We rehearsed for eight weeks before I was engaged to shoot for eight weeks, an extravagance that I, as a bit player, had never known before. If it had been a success with my prominent part in the title role, it would have changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. It would have. He should have been a major star. He really should have been. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. I mean, I'd love for him to be able to hear now, you mm-hmm. know, what, celebration people, are, it has. Oh, what yeah. people are talking about. And I think film lovers... And people who appreciate things past, like, well, that movie sucked. You know, like, not to be film snobby, but if you watch movies and you try to pick out performances from people, like, he's a great actor. Yeah, yeah. Criminally underused. And he would also wind up doing another Seuss project, uh, Halloween is Grinch Night. I, I ever the, saw that. The, in the his credits, little yeah. scene sequel to How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm. But he voices, he's the narrator and he voices the Grinch, kind of like Boris Karloff did for the original. Interesting. Nice. So. So in the scheme of things, after confronting Dr. T, they kind of talk it out, and he starts to sort of upsell the situation a little yeah, bit. Right? Yeah, and Dr. T's plying him with like cigars. and That's a fun scene. Yeah. And he gets Eloise to kind of flirt with him almost in a way. Oh, yeah. Sort of like smooth it all over. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's so when Bart figures out how much he's getting paid, and he basically makes a deal with him, and he's like, well, if I can get you 30 bucks... Will you not install the sinks? Well, the, oh. other, the other thing, too, is that Bart finds out that Dr. T plans to have him executed. Well, that's when he goes to get yeah. him the money. But we're skipping one of the best musical numbers, too, though. Because after the hypnotic dance thing, and they're trying to ply Zabodowski, they do, uh, what is it, Get Together Weather is the name of the song, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that song. That one stuck stuck in my head. The one that, I think my favorite song from the whole one is the one that uh, Zabodowski shares with Bart. The, oh, the Dream Stuff one? Yeah. The slow mm-hmm. one? Okay. I like that one a lot. No, it's a fine song. It's that a, was a really good fatherly moment. Yeah, where, it was, where they're bonding over. Where it's like, and Zabodowski starts to see, like, okay, maybe I could, maybe I could be a, a good dad. Yeah. You know, like, he has this look about him that, you know, he's like, I don't want to be dad. You know, I'm not <laughs> set out for this. But then he sees, like, how much Bart looks up to him, and he sees, like, okay, maybe. And it's also cool that he doesn't really talk down to Bart. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of treats him almost like an equal. Yeah. You don't see that a lot, especially in those old movies. I like how he leads into it, too, because Bart's kind of, like, pretending to fish. Yeah. And then he just, like, he You're doesn't... You're doing it wrong. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't question or anything. Yeah, he just, like, inserts himself in. He's like, well, no, we have to do it this way. And he yeah. kind of takes the invisible rod and just, like, keeps right. going with it. Right, he goes it. along with it. I'll show you what to do. That's a really yeah. good scene. I, it I think is. it's a very heart heartfelt scene. Mm-hmm. But that's when you truly see that Zabodowski is the hero. Yeah. That's going to be the hero or whatever. But. Yeah. but since we are talking about the songs, I think maybe I should confess this now. Okay. 
I did not like any of the songs. You didn't like any no. of the songs? Now, I don't know if we could actually play some snippets. I think we, we should, if we could. I think it would be covered under fair use, and it's a 70-year-old movie. Who's going to care? I'll see. I'll look, and, I'll look and see who owns them. So I think with a musical, it's kind of important, at least you know, at least a few bars, to give people an idea of We can at least here. link to it. Yeah. In our, we can link to it and get away with it, so nobody will sue us. Okay. You didn't like <laughs> any of the songs? No, man. They just they all kind of felt like, to me generic like hollywood of the time musical nothing songs. was catchy get together weather wasn't catchy none of it was really catchy none of it was like it all just kind of felt very samey and i see here on the blu-ray cover it says songs you'll never stop singing they've and, been in my head and like the next morning i couldn't even like hum you a few really? bars of the song what about you michael um they're not like they don't stick in my head the way others do mm-hmm. but they were catchy at the time when I was watching them, you know, like to me, there are three big, big numbers that stick in my head, and get to, the get together weather is one of them, right? And then the because we're kids one isn't bad. That's when Bart singing about how adults don't believe in kids or trust in them and stuff like that. That's kind of a funny one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> skipping ahead a little bit, there's some shenanigans, you know, a lot of running away, Bart trying to escape, and all that stuff, but. Once Dr. T kind of catches them all at the end again, that's my favorite part because Dr. T has a basically a, his own national anthem yeah. that he commands everyone to sing called We Are Victorious because you know he's captured them and he's won. So he has to have this big production about it. <laughs> and they're all singing his praises and everything. And he's just standing there like his hand over his heart <laughs> looking all proud. And I thought that was a catchy song too, We Are Victorious. It was... I think that the problem is like we're trying to put these songs in comparison to other musicals that we've seen or heard a million times to where I can sing those in my head. Sure, like all of Wizard of Oz. Yeah, like I've head, heard those you know. for for my entire life. But had this not been more successful, would we have heard some of these songs, you know, that much? Would they be more ingrained? In it's I think that's a big I think mm-hmm. that's probably no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's on that level of Wizard of Oz. It obviously isn't. No, but I think that maybe that comes to be like, okay, Dustin, you didn't like them now, but what if you heard them your whole childhood? Would, would nostalgia know. have put those, you know, in a different spot? Is nostalgia enough? I don't, that's a, that's I, it's a also, a pro- I mean, music is so subjective. <laughs> right. You know, I didn't see this when I was a kid. I was a teenager when I first saw this. Like, there are those who love Iron Maiden and those who are wrong. Right. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's just, that's how subjective it is. Uh, Some other fun bits about how he runs this Institute place. He's got, like, a goon squad. (laughs) Yeah, I like his goon squad. They felt very much like Oompa Loompas, almost, in a way, because they're kind of just marching about at his command. Um, And then there's the twins that you're talking about, which are these two old guys... Who have their beards tied together and they yeah. kind of zip around on roller skates. And they're skates. dressed like from the late 1800s. Yeah. yeah those, that was a fun a, scene because Labadowski puts on roller skates to fight them. See, I didn't like that part either. You didn't like that no. part? Oh, to me, it felt God. like it was like, oh, look, we have these people trained on how you to do You think I'm a grumpy old man? Well, look at this Grinch it, over it, here. Labadowski even says they want to fight on roller skates. I'll fight on roller skates. You know, yeah. like. He's going to meet them on their level. It just felt very forced. It was like, oh, we have these people that know how to do like a roller skate stunt thing. Let's do like the roller skate stunt scene. Oh, man. Dude, what did you think, Michael? As far as that goes, yeah, that scene. It didn't bother me because it fits into the tropes of of musicals. So, mm-hmm. like, I've seen enough of them that it doesn't bother me. Like, I expect them to. There's just little parts that I love. Like when he grabs the garden shears, you see them both kind of jump. Like, oh shit, he's yeah. gonna cut our beard. <laughs> just, 
I don't know. I thought it was funny. Uh, there's an interesting thing, though, that, that is now in my head. So Jason and I both grew up mm-hmm. watching this type of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen like all those like, type Wizard of, of Oz, Sound of Music. But did you grow up truly watching them, or did you watch them later in your childhood? No, I watched them as kids. Okay. <laughs> he was a poser as a child. <laughs> did, did you see it before it was cool, Dustin? <laughs> no, it just makes me wonder, like... How like if if my, our if mine and Jason's view of this is a little different because of our fondness for those type of things, you know, or if you're just wrong. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well, not everything is going to land. No, you know? no to me, it's like I just feel it in that place where it's like among those things, but it does feel lesser than all of those to me. Yeah, it doesn't have the same charm mm-hmm. that that the classics do, which is why they're classics. I mean, sure. But I think there's enough charm and enough energy and individuality in this movie that it deserves to be seen. Oh, absolutely. This I think it definitely deserves to be seen. I also wonder what this movie would be like. I'm I'm not a I don't use recreational drugs. <laughs> but it made me wonder if people who do would watch this movie and just trip, Oh yeah, the counterculture would love this movie. <laughs> you know? If this came out in the sixties, it would have been a much bigger hit, I think. Um but then the from the We Are Victorious song, he puts them in the dungeon. And then Dr. T has to get ready for his big We need to talk opening. we need to spend a couple minutes talking about the dungeon. Okay, let's talk about the dungeon. <laughs> because the first time he goes there it's in his like attempt to just run away and he falls down a chute. Yes. Kind of slides in there. The dungeon is Oh run, the dance number is what yeah. you're talking about. Well the dungeon is what they're what it's run by. Uh-huh. Um very um buff and beefy oily men. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah it is in a dungeon. That's very typical. tight leotards. Um, sure. And lots and lots of oil. Uh, yeah. Like, Your um, point. <laughs> it just got, it, it was like a whole shift in the movie. Like, oh, okay. Well, now we've got like. You know, I really didn't, I didn't think that. I think that's the youth thing. <laughs> that was another scene to me too that I felt like was a little dragged out and unnecessary. The, the only scene I think was, was unnecessary was when all the boys are dancing around playing the instruments that Dr. T doesn't like. Because he says the piano is the only instrument that should exist. Mm. Piccolos. I like that concept that. that he tells him that in the real world segment. Yeah. And then the translation into the dream is that he's got a dungeon where he's locked everyone that plays those yeah. down there. And that was a cute idea, but mm-hmm. it kind of went on a little bit longer than it should have. But. There's some very Dr. Seussian um, instruments being played in the dungeon yeah. mm-hmm. song numbers that look like elephant snouts. Yeah, um, I like those. That's trippy, man. I don't even know how to explain that. It's just like a real trippy... Yeah, it's it's live-action Seuss cartoon. Yeah. Um, yeah, just... Just know there's a dungeon scene with lots of oily dudes. But the, then the other end of that is once he's captured him again, he sends him to the dungeon. They do this elevator ride. Yes. And that might be my favorite part musically because that song is so strange. Oh, yeah. When he's, they're singing about the different floors, mm-hmm. the different levels of the dungeon and what's on there. There's apparently supposed to be another level, but the song got cut. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you don't see it. Yeah, I have it here. Uh, they thought it was like too horrifying. And they didn't want to include it in the end. They cut it out. The actual stanza is third floor dungeon, household appliances, spike beds, electric chairs, gas chambers, roasting pots, and scalping devices. Holy shit. <laughs> that's awesome. And they thought with the gas chamber part, that was a little too insensitive. Oh, yeah. that's Especially with his Zabladowski. Well, they could have cut that line and replaced it with something else. Mm-hmm. But they just like sliced that little part of the song out, basically. Yeah, it's a cool part, too. I like that. 
Okay. Um, and then, but I love it when Dr. T is getting ready for the big grand that's opening. That's a great. That's, that's a, a that's a great song. I don't know how you don't like that one. I didn't. Dre- ca- uh, dressing I didn't song, care for it. Do duds. But it was like the most like Susie song. Very, and of the Connery does great. He is so good <laughs> in this part. Yeah, because he's, he's singing about all the stuff he wants to wear, and they're dressing him up, and <laughs> it's just it's so much fun. I did enjoy that scene a lot. I thought it was very well done. Um, very well choreographed. He's got this huge pompous costume yeah. on by the end. It's like all these medals and cords and this huge hat. It's very well choreographed. Um, <laughs> that's a fun number. And in the dungeon, they make an atomic device. Yeah, I got uh, lost Zabodowski at that does. point, man. I, at that point, I was like, the well, plot's gone for I me under, here. I understand that. <laughs> everything's going crazy by the end. That's yeah. the point. I understand that it's just child logic, but I really didn't like how that panned out, especially because once he has the it's device. It's dream logic. It's a dream. Once he has the device, it's like he shows it off in the big like climactic scene, and they're like, oh, is that atomic? Yes, very atomic. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's also. That's hilarious. It's the 50s, man. That's also yeah. That is playing very much into the atomic craze of the fifties. I love Connery's Connery's uh, reading of that. Is it atomic? (laughs) (laughs) So good. So because atomic can mean anything, you know. I mean, it was bad, but it could mean anything fantastical. Yeah, I think it's just the obsession with the atomic bomb and like the mystery behind it. Nobody truly knows how horrifying it is. And And they've got the five hundred kids, but I don't think it's actually five. But it's a lot. There's a lot of kids. Have some fun notes on that. So they couldn't get five hundred kids. Right. They had about a hundred and fifty. And apparently they a lot of them didn't want to be there. Obviously. It was this hard to coordinate scene. Um, There's a couple of great shots I want to talk is about. The, is the kid that's crying? He's he, really crying. He's really crying. Dude, he is really <laughs> crying. <laughs> There's this kid. poor kid. He's either scared or whatever, but he's just sitting there crying. And you see one of the other kids try to console him. He's like patting his back. And then they show him again <laughs> at the end damn. when they're celebrating and they're all playing whatever they want. He's still crying. Yeah. And he's not, he's not doing anything. He's not touching the keys. And the kid next to him like grabs his hands and tries to put them on the keys. He just gra- pulls them away. No. Um, but so this was said by Dr. Seuss and uh, confirmed by some of the other like creators that worked on it. One of the 150 boys vomited on the piano while they were trying to shoot the scene. Oh, no. And it made a chain reaction where all 150 were just hurling and throwing oh, up. Oh, my God. <laughs> But then here's the best part. Dr. Seuss commented that the film's reviews were very similar. <laughs> I did read that, and but I read that like while I was watching the early parts of the film. So when I knew it was coming, it's hard to watch that scene knowing that all these kids just started ralphing everywhere. That's hilarious. It's like that scene in Stand By Me. It was just <sighs> contagious puking. And that that whole sequence there, where they get all those kids, looks chaotic. Oh, yeah. it yeah. just looks like pure chaos. Like they turned, the, they were like, "We can't wrangle these kids. Just turn it, the it's camera perfect. on." It's a perfect ending. It's it, so much fun. It really is. I and think it's that scene too is where I one of another of my complaints is I don't think they go far enough with some of the ideas they're trying to talk about. But there's sort of a lot of World War II metaphors and parallels in mm-hmm. this, and that one, the way they have the kids all lined up and they're kind of processing them through and forcing the hats on their head. Yeah. I confiscating got, I got toys the vibe there, stuff. like yeah. really strong. Well, I mean, how else are you going to wrangle 150 kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, Conry is that, you know, Dr. T is that authoritarian, yeah. absolute. And in that final scene, he has like tons of medals pinned to him, mm-hmm. like war medals, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once um, Bart finally thwarts Dr. T... Which we should say the the atomic device they make is a little thing you can open and it like draws away all the sound. Right. Yeah. 
once he finally thwarts Dr. T, that kind of ends our dream sequence and like we get our resolution or whatever. And Bart comes back, he wakes up, and now he's back at the piano where he fell asleep before. Mm-hmm. Um, but starts to like sees Mr. Zabladowski and is really starting to hammer home the hey, you should be my dad <laughs> thing. Yeah. But it's it's what it was kind of funny is that you see Bart's mom like really telling because early in the film Zabladowski calls Terwilliker. He says he's a racketeer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So he says he's running a racket and he's a racketeer. And his mom's like, "Don't you say that about him? Like, you will not be teaching my child." Like, really chides him. Sure, but she had a thing for him. Because mm, she quickly was like, "You want to give me a ride? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to go downtown. You want to take me there?" Yeah. And Zabod, I mean, she is a knockout. So it's oh. like you know, Zabodowski's probably like, "Yeah, she's a handsome woman." I'll install your sink so for you. Mary Healy was the actress. <laughs> yeah, she's good. So, but yeah, and then, but when he's talk, Zabodowski says too, like when he starts to realize that he could be a father figure for Bart, and he's like, "How about I take you fishing next weekend?" Yeah, you know, and they kind of rehash there. It's almost like Zabodowski was. Well, they do make the comment. Because at one point, they make a promise, and they prick their fingers and give each other hepatitis C. <laughs> and and so and that's when Bart, you know, pulls up his finger in real life, and he's got a Band-Aid on it. And yeah. Zabodowski pulls up his finger, and he's got a Band-Aid on it. So then you're like, oh, well, we were Ooh, there together, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so he realizes that maybe, you know, he was in the dream with him, yeah. kind of a thing. And then Zabodowski and his mom go off. To shopping and he shuts the piano and grabs his but, ball and glove and goes out to play. Who was staying with this kid? Nobody. It was the fifties. Yeah, the, kid, the kids. Oh, not to stay by himself for a couple. He, what hours. is he like? Ten? Yeah, I was by myself for a couple hours. Well, he just left the house and went running down the street with his dog. Yeah. Like fuck the town. I'm back, going out, man. Back in the day, even in the eighties, growing up, you could do that. It looked like the kind of suburban neighborhood where we like, didn't lock our door. Kids would just be roaming and stuff, and it's no problem. Yeah. I mean, we didn't lock our door either, but also I didn't live in a neighborhood. I lived right. Well, we lived in a neighborhood. I we lived on a farm, so or even at night we wouldn't lock our door. It's still, man. Like what, this kid just like his parents leave, and he's just like fucking going out, <laughs> and just like leaves and no no supervision. And I'm like, where the fuck? <sighs> Someone that's needs to when, watch this child. That's when kids could be kids. And grow up to be men and women. Oh, God damn Not it. pampered young kids on God my lawn. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Oh, no. Okay, so I'm getting some mixed messages here from you guys. <laughs> I have a feeling one of you liked it more than the other. Is there anything else anyone wanted to say about the movie? I've got some other fun facts. Okay, cool. Because I kind of leaned into that a little bit. Lay it on me. Um, so. Sock it to me. The score was composed by Frederick Hollander. Mm-hmm. The lyrics were by Dr. Seuss. We set that up already. It did get an Oscar nomination for Best Scoring of a Musical Picture. That's something. I couldn't find what it lost to. I probably should have dug a little deeper for that, but it didn't win. Um, the pre-recorded piano parts were uncredited, but they were done by veteran Hollywood studio session pianist Ray Turner. Good old Ray Turner, man. Now, I'm no pianist, but it sounded really good to me. Some of the playing was kind of complex. I think Bart was actually playing the... I think the, the beginning. The, yeah. yeah. Eh, I don't know about that. Because some, sometimes his movements didn't fit the sound at all, which is another of my little complaints. He was pretty close, though. More than I think you normally see. Well, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like it was you know shot on set. The audio wouldn't have been shot on set. They would have been... 
there was a noticeable like desync between the audio and his movements. Oh my god! And I why felt, are you being so uh, pandemic <laughs> today? What is this? I felt that too in the big dance number in the dungeon. A lot of those people were kind of just like flailing with their instruments. Well, it's a giant elephant snout. What are you? How else do you well, play like, an elephant? Even the people snout? with the actual like real instruments. Oh, it was out of sync to the. How music. many Italian films have you watched where like nothing syncs up, even you, the foley work? You know what I think this but is. This isn't a low budget Italian flick. I think I think comparatively it was relatively low budget. I think time. you made Dustin mad yesterday well, over I do. over your hatred of Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> this is vengeance, and I think he maybe liked the Five Thousand Fingers of Doctor P. <laughs> He'd rather dig but you shit all over one of his favorite Friday the Thirteenth movies. Oh god, that's another conversation. Um, if that and, can make you feel better, go with that, I guess. But and Dustin no, showed I've... up today. He's like, you know what? Fuck the five thousand fingers of Doctor T. <laughs> I don't care if I liked it or not. I'm uh, stands for turd. <laughs> we we will uh, we'll talk about my feelings in a minute, but some more things. So that preview version you talked about that they did a test audience with, it was received very poorly, and the studio flipped out. They did all kinds of cuts and reshoots. Uh, originally, there were twenty musical numbers in all that were filmed. Nine were pulled out. Now it's probably a good idea cutting some of that because I, I don't think this movie needs to be any longer. I will say that. 90 minutes is a good Imagine that. I do Jason think, said he doesn't think something needs to be longer. <laughs> um, I do think it needed like another song or two to kind of like balance it out. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, like you said, that footage is lost. Uh, they've never been able to find any of the missing footage. I'd love to see that footage. Um, at the Hollywood premiere, a lot of patrons walked out after 15 minutes. They had terrible box office reception. Uh, it pretty much got widespread negative reviews from the critics. Of course, we talked about, you know, in more modern times now, it's kind of been rediscovered and re reanalyzed by people. Uh, talking about the film, Dr. Seuss said it was a tobaculous fiasco. Yeah, that's a great term. And he yeah. had it omitted from his official biography. That's harsh. Credits. That's harsh. Um, in the wake of the film, when he was questioned whether he would work on another movie, he said, Hollywood is not suited for me, and I am not suited for it. Well, no, that's a fair statement. <laughs> and it, it's it's very unfair, though, because it's they, I think they did a good job. I think Seuss did good with the screenwriting and the, the song lyrics. It's very stuff. Dr. Seuss. It's just not I, the Dr. Seuss that just Hollywood con- wanted. If this had just contacted with audiences... I think a lot of it is... He would have had more live action. It is Dr. Seuss, but it's filtered through the Hollywood lens. Oh, that's a good... That's a very good statement. In a way yeah. that kind of blunts a lot of the magic of his creativity and the worlds that he creates. Right, right. In Dr. Seuss books, there's no one filtering right. that. Just let him be Dr. Seuss. Let him be wild and crazy. But we see that in almost every film we watch now. It's like, okay, well, these we need to make a movie that's going to make money. So we're going to filter it through whatever we think is going to make money at the mm-hmm. time. There's still some interesting... Well, it doesn't continue. Okay, so two final facts. Uh, it was one of the earliest films to be released in stereo. And cool. that was done as part of a ploy by people in the industry to get TV viewers back into the theaters. Oh, yeah. Because that was a struggle at the time in the early 50s. Maybe kind of like now. <laughs> um, they used a 98-piece orchestra to do the score. And it was one of the largest ever assembled on a Columbia soundstage for the time. Cool. And then the last thing, when you talked about that earlier draft of the film, uh, it had some darker themes, which was one of the problems the studio had. And there's a few tidbits that people still know, like elements that were cut out. Uh, Dr. T originally had a magic saber that he would use to behead his henchmen. Not the crap. If they were, whenever they were incompetent or they would fail to capture Bart. 
and once decapitated, they would rise again as headless zombies. And it was this comical thing where they would still try to like serve him, but they would like stumble about. Oh my god, it's Reanimator! Yeah, yeah. like thirty years early. <laughs> um, Eloise's cage that she's trapped in for parts of the film. Originally, it was supposed to be suspended above Doctor T's bed for him to like stare at her and Ooh. watch her. Oh, you mean her her what was it? Lock me tight. Yeah, lock me tight. <laughs> and there was extra scenes where she would recite these little rhymes that was like her doting on him and saying how loyal and loving she was after he had hypnotized her. Whoa. And um, the finale was supposed to have a song where Bart would sing, and it was him encouraging the two twins with the beard uh, to turn on Dr. T and strangle him. Holy shit. With their beard? Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Death by beard. But when they dropped that, I guess they shunted it to the thing where uh, Zepodowski defeats them. There is one thing we didn't talk about that was kind of fun. It's one of these things that's like, they will never allow that to happen now because it's so uncontrollable, but... When they break Bart's mom out of her lock me tight cage, Zabladowski uses this prop flamethrower. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the flame that's coming off of that son of a bitch is really way too big for a prop that anyone should be using. And he's actually burning through this prop. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was watching it, I was like, oh shit, that looks really dangerous. Oh, damn. Yeah. You should have that kid take a couple steps back. <laughs> but it looks like it. I'm, I'm sure it was fine. I'm sure there was lots of asbestos on the set. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like this flame shoots out. And I was like, holy shit. That's what. And then he like, the, the actor's like kicking it to try to make it fall. Because it's. You, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty intense. And I was like, oh shit, they'll never let somebody do that now. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then to close this out, I have a question I wanted to pose to you guys about sure. this film. Because I've really been like going back and forth on this since I watched it. The scene when Bart and Zabladowski kind of team up and decide they're finally going to you know, deal with everything. And they have this conversation about like, oh, you should be my dad. You should marry my mom. Da, 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 da. Sure. They kind of just decide that between them. And I know this is the child logic of this dream world. But is that weird? It felt weird to me. Like... It seems like they just decide all of this for his mother, and then it's just expected that she goes along with it. I, I didn't take it that way because it mm-hmm. is like it's from the point of view of a child. It's, mm-hmm. it's dream logic, and I'm sure children are like, "Hey, yeah, you know, my mom needs a husband. I'd like a dad. I like you. I we mean, should hook up." I mean, it, it, to me, it makes sense. It, felt, have it to- felt weird to me because it was like the two extremes where she can be hypnotized by Doctor T and like hopelessly devoted to him, or. This other dude and her son decide that she's going to marry him. But then you get back in real life, and it's it's not like she has agency. I mean, it's obvious, like you said, Michael, that she's a little bit into him. I mean, he's a nice guy, you know, not he's bad looking, right? He drives it like an old army jeep. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's not like they're being forced on each other. It's it's at the end. It's like a indication that hey, maybe they're interested and they'll get together. But I see what you're like- saying though, Dustin, because I think it's easy. I think this is like one of the things when you evaluate history. And it is the 50s. I understand that. That's... When you evaluate history, you have to be careful about what lenses you're looking through to evaluate it. And I, I think don't it's... see what that has to do with any of Dr. Seuss's works, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very easy to see that though, like especially because of the time frame and the climate mm-hmm. that we're in. Um, so I think it's very easy to see that, but I do think you, you have to look at this film through the lens of the kid. Right. Right. And that's the way a kid would think. And if you try to like impose 
more adult ideas on this film, I think you can see a whole lot of shit that you probably shouldn't see. It's not like Zabodowski's like, hey, you dame, you're going to be my wife. You have nothing to say about it. It's, I think it's a naturally forming relationship. What I, I actually mean. like is how, how sheepish Zabodowski became when he realized, like, oh, shit, she might be into me. Yeah, right. And he's like, he immediately is like, Yes, ma'am. Yeah, of yeah. course I'll drive All you. All shucks. Like, Gorge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he really became more like, sit down, kid. I gotta, I gotta go do some stuff here. <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't think that's an issue, personally. Again, I kind of wish we had a female presence on this podcast to speak on that end. We should. What the hell do we know? But uh, Tiffany didn't have a lot to offer on this one. She, she bailed by that time, didn't yeah. she? <laughs> I'm she, out. She was not a fan. <laughs> Piper asked me, she's like, when I was telling her about the movie, she's like, would I like this? I was like, ha, 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 I don't oh, know. I mean, also, Dustin, don't you think that sometimes women want to be told what to do? I think? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, this has been Genre Exposure. We won't be back again for another episode. Join us uh, next week as we try out our new host. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jason will no longer be joining us. Oh, that, oh, shit. that was, of course, a jest. <clears throat> um, yeah. Okay. We should probably. Like, final thoughts. Yeah. Final thoughts. <laughs> Before Jason fucks us royally anymore. Oh my god. <laughs> Jason, it was your pick. Where are you at on it? Well, obviously it's my pick, so I enjoyed it. I like it. It's not always the case. So yeah, sometimes upon reevaluation, you're like, yeah, what was I thinking? Or it's um, a blind, you know, blind watch or something yeah. like that. Um No, I still I still like it a lot. I appreciate it. I think I really appreciate its kind of message of non conformity. And I think that might be one of the reasons why it didn't hit at the time. Sure. That's fair. Um, which 50s probably, were all about. Conformity. Yeah, conform, conform. Um, and it's fun. I mean, it's just, it's fun. If you like old Hollywood, if you like musicals, if you like campy performances. If you like dungeons with a lot of oily dudes <laughs> in it. Have you ever been to a Turkish prison? <laughs> Immediately was in my mind when he walks into that, and I'm like, "Ever been to a Turkish prison guard? Ever seen a grown man naked?" Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. It's it's very it's you no. Know, there's going to be people who listen to us who are all about the horror and the hardcore and the gore and stuff. Which, dude, I love. I'm all about that. But uh, well, that's part of there's our also goal other, is right. to explore and branch there's other out. genres. There's other things to watch. There's other things, you know that need to be rediscovered and celebrated and seen more. And this is one of those movies. So if I were to give a rating to it, I would give it three and a half. Hmm. Hmm. Cause I don't think it's a lost masterpiece by any means. You know, it's not a perfect movie, but I think it's a very fun movie. It's a unique movie. You're not going to see something else like it from the fifties. I guarantee you check it out. Cool. I guess I'll go next because I'm sort of the other end of the spectrum. And then I think Michael maybe filters in in the middle, but we'll see. You're sort of the wild card okay. on this. So, um, Jason goes to hell aside. Because <laughs> that had no bearing on this. I, I, was pre- I was pretty settled the second the credits rolled. Uh-huh. Uh, I did not like this movie at all. Wow. I respect it. I think it has some cool ideas. It's awesome to see... Dr. Seuss in film format. Mm-hmm. I wish there was more of that. It really does seem like kind of the Hollywood system sort of cut down his ideas and his vision somewhat. Uh, it's regrettable that he never tried again. Yeah. So I think with the, with the right 
sort of people in the mix working on it, he could have made something amazing theatrically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it it seemed like a lot of other musicals. It made me think of The Wizard of Oz. It made me think of uh, Willy Wonka a little bit, especially with like the goons running around in the Institute. Well, Willy Wonka came after this, but well, it's in the scheme of like things you would okay. compare it to. All right, I got you. Um, oh, I see I'm not saying that it's ripping off those. I'm saying just like the feeling it feels like. It ripped it off before it happened. <laughs> it, it feels like these other films. And I think those other films all do greater things in a way that when I watched this, I was kind of just like, meh. Oh, I don't quick know aside, I kind of hate Willy Wonka. But oh. Aside from Gene Wilder's performance, I do not like that movie. So we'll be back with our new host <laughs> uh, next time. But um, please continue. And yeah, like as the music, like it all just kind of felt like typical fifties big Hollywood. None of them really stood out to me. None of them were very catchy. I really can't even like hum a bar for you right now if I wanted to try. And I think of so many other things. Even when we talk about like big Hollywood productions, uh, something like one I love. I love Chicago, right? And so it takes this like jazz theme to all its songs, but then even then, each song kind of has its own identity mm-hmm. that sits within the frame of the film where they build on everything, but also they kind of sound unique to one another, even if they are still playing in the same, like, smaller genre area of music. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, here it just felt all very samey, all very ran together. I couldn't jive with that at all. Okay. So I appreciate it. I think if you love Dr. Seuss at all, you should see it just for that reason alone. That's sort of the curious, interesting aspect about it to me. That and the history and the production how it's kind of like been cut down from what it could have been forgotten. And now it's come back into the limelight a little bit. I'm sure for a lot of people like you, Jason, it will work great for them and they'll love it. And they'll really get lost in sort of the like phantasmagoric Caligari world that's created there. I'm confident that most of our listeners have great taste and they will enjoy it. (laughs) But representing the other side of the spectrum did not care for it at all. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, sadly, other than that prescribed little lane of like, if you like Dr. Seuss a ton, uh, one star. Sorry. Whoa. Oh. (laughs) Jason so tore off. That was me hanging myself. (laughs) Well, now we really have to get a new host. All right. All right, Michael, bring us home. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, Yay. That's it. I'm done. Bye, everybody. <laughs> if I put this against like other musicals that I grew up on, no, like I can't. I can't say like if you if you've never watched Wizard of Oz and you have to choose between Wizard of Oz and the Five Thousand Fingers of Doctor T. Obviously, there's right, an obvious right, answer to that. Right. But I found myself really kind of getting lost in the whimsy of it, mm-hmm. and just. I, but I'm such a sucker for old Hollywood. Yeah. Like. And I think that might have clouded it a little bit because I just, anything old Hollywood, I kind of get drawn into. Probably right. one of the reasons right. I liked Under the Silver Lake so much. I was about to of, say that because this is partially Dustin's fault. Because the whole old, old Hollywood stuff from Under the Silver Lake made me think of this movie. Ah, but, interesting. You, but you didn't like Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I like old Hollywood. I like what that movie made me think of. Hmm. So oh, continue. I, I'm going to land at three. Okay. On three stars on this one. Yeah, that's fair. That's because good. I would I would tell somebody, like, if you're a fan of musicals um, and you've not seen this, I think this is easy an easy one to put out there to say, like, this is an offbeat musical that you can kind of watch and get some trippy things out of. Also, performances for me. Like, I, I have been known to like shitty movies just for great performances. 
And the performances in this are really great. Mm-hmm. Like it, I will give them that. Like everyone that's involved, sort of in the production, they're all oh, they're giving it. They're in all. it. Yeah. They're in it, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that because this. If somebody weren't in this, like all in, you'd see it. Mm-hmm. But somehow they managed to get everybody to be on board with this crazy, outlandish idea. Other than the kids, but. They have, a, they have a very one, minor one or role. two of the children. Yes. <laughs> what, what is the old adage like? Adage like, don't work with kids and don't work with animals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought of that when I was watching all the kids. <laughs> don't work with 150 kids. I was like, Jesus, there's a so. Oh my god, <laughs> you know, someone was off to the side of the stage, and they're just like, Why did we do this? Why did we decide? <laughs> well, this? I thought in my head, like when I read the thing about the kid puking and then starting a chain reaction, some poor. Like production assistants, like yeah, someone had to clean that up. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> and piano keys? Oh, you're Is not getting it that out. Too late you know? to quit. Like, will my career be <laughs> shot if I just walk off set today? <laughs> so no, I'll land at a solid three. Nice. I think I could recommend it to people. A certain audience, I think I could recommend. Yeah, it Yeah, I, I think anyone listening to this knows who they are who would enjoy this. Yeah, if if you saw that we're doing a musical and you just were like, I'm not listening to that one today. Right. You know, this is definitely not for you. Obviously not. But if you've made it this far, I think check it out. I think you'll like it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really did. Plus, it's streaming for free on several sources. We'll yeah. link to that. We'll link to that in the show notes. Because the one I watched it on is so fucking weird. I don't even remember what the title of the channel was that I watched it on. But I know it's on Crackle. That was okay. Yeah. But the the, the, <laughs> the Blu-ray was only ten bucks on Amazon, so. Well, there's that. So if you collect musicals, that's an easy grab. Sure. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm a little disheartened, but not terribly surprised. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong. Right? <laughs> so I, I could be the wrong one. It's your I think pick you are. next, right? It Justin? is my pick next, and in the scheme of our schedule, I think this episode's going to fall into October. Okay. Uh oh! So this is the first time we should the holy month. Maybe talk about yes, the holy month that we all worship. <laughs> um, we love October. We love Halloween. We love uh, horror films. We're all about that. I think the plan is that we're going to try to have an episode every week in October. Every week of a horror film mm-hmm. in October, all horror related. So I took that into consideration. I also promised the last time the next thing I would bring would be very trashy. Yeah. So I had to keep that into consideration. I've been too. waiting for this. So in the scheme of that, we'll probably have more announcements about what we're going to do. We'll have two normal episodes in October. We'll have two extras. We'll find something fun to do for those. Uh, maybe it's a good time for that trivia showdown. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, but when we did the Nightingale recently, it got me thinking about the fact that we haven't done a lot of female directors. And that's not for any other reason than just kind of in that we you know haphazardly pick these mm-hmm. kind of just on a whim. And women have been terribly underrepresented as directors in yeah. the history of film. But that's been on my mind, too. And I have the perfect trio of all these things, that it's horror-related, woman director, and it's pretty trashy. Which Roger Corman movie is this? Mm, interesting. <laughs> so, we're going to be watching 1987's Blood Diner. Yes! By... Yes! <laughs> oh, God. Everyone watched this movie without me. This okay. movie fucking rules. Uh, yeah, it's directed Spoiler. by Jackie Kong. Everyone watched this movie without me, and I was so bummed because... Uh, well, where the hell were you? Probably having a baby, you asshole. <laughs> no, this was a long time ago I saw uh, this. Yeah, it's you got, may have been in Ohio then. I was. Yeah, I was in Ohio. Yeah. It's got a blue from the Vestron line. Nice. So, Do you have it? Of course. Aww. I love this movie. 
Excellent. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I've, I've been wanting to rewatch it, so this is a great excuse. It's crazy. It's bonkers. It's super trashy. It's over the top, gory. It's all the things. If you love horror films, it's got it all there. Yep. So, oh man, it's so not PC. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I'm very. I'm so excited for this. Our friend of the show, Adam, mm. was wearing a Blood Diner shirt when I saw him a couple weeks ago. <laughs> oh, so. Yeah, yeah. so cool. <laughs> Awesome. Nice. We'll Looking dig into that it, next time. Yeah. As always, and finally, guys, thank you so much. Some of you have started reaching out to us, even with just little comments mm-hmm. on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even just the littlest thing to say, like, hey, I dug this episode, or you guys suck. Yeah, let us know how wrong Dustin is about this movie after you watch <laughs> it. I, I re- we really, really appreciate that. It really yes. makes our day, and we love interacting with you guys. So please continue to do that. Um, all your favorite uh social media channels and aye, aye. Facebook, Instagram, Twitters, the emails, MySpace. <laughs> That's still there. So we don't have a MySpace presence. <laughs> don't go looking there. Uh, until next time guys. And I'm so excited for next time. Now yeah. um, we'll see you guys then. Thanks so much. Bye everybody. Take care.